0: We're closing out our series on loving one another. We're in Matthew chapter 23 today. And we're closing it out with the easy idea that we're to be like Jesus, to love people like Jesus loves people. But as always, there's more depth there than we can realize sometimes. So let's read our scripture. We're going to start in 23, read verses 1 through 12. Then we're going to jump to the end of the chapter. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must obey them and do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for men to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels of their prayer shawls long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogue. They love to be greeted in the marketplaces and to have men call them rabbi, but you are not to be called rabbi for you have only one master and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called teacher, for you have one teacher, the Christ. The greatest among you will be your servant. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Now verse 37. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you how often i have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings but you were not willing look your house is left to you desolate for i tell you you will not see me again until you say blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord join me in prayer Father, thank you for your word. Lord, open our hearts and minds that we would be able to understand what you're saying to us, that we might use it to teach us to love others better. And it is in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I've got a picture here of a hen sheltering her chicks. And it's Such a beautiful picture to me of what Jesus is relating to the people. We see that hen there, and all you can see are a bunch of scrawny little legs under her. But she's covering them with her wings, protecting them from the rain. Perhaps it's chilly. Perhaps it's scary if there's thunder. She's exposing herself to the elements so that her chicks feel safe, warm, and dry. Is there any better picture of those chicks underneath the hen of Jesus expressing his love for people and his people particularly? I don't think so. In that picture, we see the love of a mother. Here's a mom spreading her wings so all the chicks can be warm, dry, sheltered from the rain. They put them, the mothers put themselves over and over in front of us to shield us and protect us from the harsh realities of life. They try to protect us. They try to shield us and they try to help the hurt. That's the love that Jesus is proclaiming for his people. There are many ways to feel pain in this world. We're aware of them. As a child, we toddle along or we run and we slip and fall and we skin our knee and it starts to bleed. And we typically run to mama. And a kiss can help a lot. For most of us, we might have had some mercuricone put on there. And it would sting a little bit. She would blow on it with her breath and it would cool it, make it all right. Then hug us and hold us. So that's one pain that we feel. Another times, it is, at least most of us here growing up, we acted like the devil. We were disobedient, disrespectful, and we found ourselves getting the Board of Education applied to the Seed of Knowledge, if you got my drift. <laughs> that hurts, and we cry. But if we're smart and receive the lesson, we don't do that again. Or, I'm having knee surgery soon and my doctor's honest. He said, it hurts now. It's going to hurt worse. And a lot of you counseling me do the physical therapy. It'll hurt bad, but it's worth it. So there's that pain too. Later in life, The hurts are usually maybe less physical. If not, there's plenty of emotional and internal hurts as we experience the loss of a loved one. Or we experience a loved one going through trouble and we ache for them. We experience the loss of a job and we experience being misunderstood. Our views and ideas are ridiculed. Seems like there's no shortage of people out there waiting for a chance to take us down a peg, mock us, and be critical. Life has many wonderful moments, but life also has no shortage of heartache. You're well aware of that. How many times as as an adult have you wished you could lay your head on mama's bosom again? Fill her arms around you. Talk to her. Tell her how your day went wrong. I know we all do. Jesus knew the pain and turmoil people were going through. That's part of his experience in coming as a baby. He experienced everything we experienced. He would have gotten hungry. He probably got splinters in his hand helping his dad with the carpentry. He might have even struck his thumb with a mallet, but I bet he didn't say the wrong thing. He knew what we went through. He knew the pain of hurt. As we read when Lazarus died, and when Jesus found out, we have that shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. The Almighty Son of God, aligned with the creator of the universe through whom all creation was made, wept at the passing of a friend. He knows our pain, experientially and as God. He came to relieve that suffering by removing the greatest burden there. That's what the people didn't understand all the people could see was the physical world around them. All they could see was their current troubles. All they could see was the Roman army oppressing them. And that was serious, and that was grievous, and, and, and I'm sure God didn't like it every, any bit more than they did. But he knew where the real struggle was. He knew the real thing that needed to be taken care of. And that was that sin nature that put man at enmity with God. He knew what a burden that was. He knew how people were in chains to their sin. And so that's what he came to take care of that first time he came over 2,000 years ago. He came to free their souls, their spirits. He knew that doing that would enable them, us, to have fellowship with the Father once again. He knew by their sins being atoned for and taken to the grave, He knew that then the Holy Spirit could come and abide within us, providing us strength, comfort, wisdom knowledge and help and so he knew that was what really needed to be addressed and that's what he came to do the people rejected that they didn't believe it mind you there were many wonderful people across the time there are many we have we have accounts of many in our bible that tried their best to love god follow him did the best they could do under the circumstances. They were righteous people. But as a rule, the people God called His own rejected Him as Messiah. Time and time again, He sent prophets, He sent preachers to Him saying, turn, change from your ways. He's coming to bring forgiveness. Dedicate your life to the Lord. And the people as a whole, over time, more and more, rejected him. And they were eventually carried off into bondage. And then God went silent for 400 years. But then the silence was broken by Jesus Christ coming. So there were sweet, well-meaning people, but most rejected him. As a people, they rejected him. Just as there were sweet, meaningful people, there were mean, hateful, arrogant, self-righteous people among that group who vehemently and violently opposed Jesus. Jesus talks about them in the first part of the chapter that we read. People that had made it to a high position in the religious world and who sought the glory and praise a man who liked lording over others with their rules. He mentions they wore wide phylacteries. A phylactery comes out of Deuteronomy where it talks about binding the Word upon your wrist or forehead and they would put a little box and in that box would be a little scroll with a Word of God and they would wear that around their head. And so it would be a sign of being pious And so he's talking about some of these wore an extra big box to impress others of how much word they were carrying. But he said, don't follow them. You have to obey their laws because of their position. But don't do as they do, do as they say. And so he mentions these people, and that's one reason why they violently rejected him. He didn't go along with their plan. He didn't go along with their schemes. He didn't pal around with them. Jesus went to the publican, to the sinner, to the downcast, to the ones, those people He was talking about in the first part considered as worthless, not worthy of anything, not worthy of consideration. He went and had supper and dealt with them. And they didn't praise him for his graciousness and mercy and hospitality. They criticized him. What is he doing with publicans and sinners? They, they were critical that he who wanted to be a religious person, who was more than they knew, would defile himself with the unclean. Jesus loved those unclean. And so he would spend time with them. The word for how Jesus felt is compassion. It's a great word, with passion. He didn't love them just as a word to throw around. It wasn't just a, a toss phrase that he would say. Compassion, with passion. He loved them passionately. He wanted them to know him personally as their Savior and Lord. He wanted them to get the rewards of heaven as much as any other person. He forgave them when they sinned. That great chapter, that great verse where the woman in adultery has come to Him. And in the end He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Change your life. Repent. Become what I've come to make you a glorious, wonderful person. That's what he wants for each and every one. That's what he wanted for all the religious leaders who thought they had the answers. And yet, they rejected him. And that just strikes me on that verse, that it wasn't people that were friendly and... and, and just the people that were friendly and engaging with Jesus, that were easy to love, that were easy to spend time with, that were easy to want in heaven. He did that for everybody, even the ones that he didn't particularly like, that he didn't approve of how they did and how they oppressed the others, but he still yearned for them to come to know Him as Savior, as the Messiah, yield to Him as their Lord, and in the end, in spite of whether they were a thief, a murderer, or a robber, or an oppressor who who took uh, tithes and offerings from them and squandered them wrong, that they would all be level at the foot of the cross, that they would all received the hope of heaven. He had compassion on all those people, on those who had rejected him for thousands of years and still as a people reject him. That's the kind of compassion Jesus had for people that don't know him. And so if we're going to be like Jesus, We need that compassion. Doesn't mean we like them. Doesn't mean we like their lifestyle. It doesn't mean we approve of their behavior. But in the eyes of eternity, in the eyes of heaven, in the eyes of Almighty God, we have compassion on their souls that they would come to know Him in that way that we know Him. And then... They will be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit then does His work of change. We look at a person and too often we'll think, well, they need to clean up and come into church. And we love that old hymn, Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. Just as I am, I come. That means not getting cleaned up before you come to Jesus. You see, we can't get cleaned up. We can't get to that level that He requires. We can become better. We can do some things better. We can let go of some sins, but we still fall short of the glory of God. And we need His cleansing work. And so we come to Him just as I am, yielding everything to Him, saying, Lord, search me, try me, tell me where I need to change. And the Lord God, while we might say, you need to change this, brother, God says, no, this is more important. This is what's really in the way. Whatever it is, He may agree with us, He may not. Well, man looks on the outside. That's what God told Samuel. God looks at the heart. So he's not obsessing over that t-shirt or jeans that a person's wearing. He's not obsessing over an earring and their ear, nose, wherever they put them. He's not obsessing over the tattoos. He's looking beyond those surface areas. Looking at the heart, wanting that heart to come to know Him as Savior and Lord, and then working to change that heart so that all the external stuff falls into place. That's the way God works. And if we're going to be in sync with God, if we're going to <clears throat> work according to His pattern, we need to be like Jesus. We don't let the external put us off. If anything, we let the external lead us to deeper prayer. We look beyond their faults. Another great song, He looked beyond my faults to change my heart, to change your heart. We look beyond other people's faults to be concerned about their soul before God, to be concerned about their eternal destination, to be concerned about their having an abundant life here on earth through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then let the Holy Spirit fix the other things. Too often we try to be that Holy Spirit, and we don't have that power. We don't have that right. We don't have that authority. That's not what God called us to do. He called us to tell him. And so we can be critical of the cusser, but we won't take Christ's word to them. We can reject the retrobate and refuse to tell them of the reward awaiting them if they only believe. And as we do that, we're not being like Jesus. It doesn't mean we think the person's okay and that they can just do what they want to do we certainly know they need to get off drugs to stop the harmful habits in their life but they can stop all their harmful habits and if they die not knowing who Jesus Christ is They have the same destination. The destination changes with the focus of the heart, not the habits handled. And so that's the call to us, to have compassion, to not let their scorn and ridicule and mocking deter us. I saw a movie this week that I hope we maybe show. It's a good movie called Remember the Goal. And in that, the a coach is talking to the girl she coaches. And I think we all know we as teenagers, teenage girls are concerned with how they are received or looked to others. They can't take me and tease, ridicule, these kind of things. They'll avoid it uh, very drastically. And this coach took him to the place in scripture, a, a, a parable, a story, real story, where Jesus was told about this little girl, about four years old, who had died. And Jesus walks up to the house, and in that culture, as some cultures today, it was, it was the thing to do to stand around and wail and moan and, and grieve the loss of the person. So Jesus walks up and hears all these people doing what was culturally correct in their grieving. And he says, why are you doing this? She's not gone. She's asleep. Asleep? Doesn't this man know death when he sees it? Doesn't he understand she's dead, she's gone? But Jesus understood better than they did. And he went into her, healed her, and she comes walking out. The people are amazed. Jesus restored her spirit, her soul, whatever it took to wake her up, to bring her back to life. Then the coach makes another interesting point. She says, with all that happening, Where was Jesus? Hmm. He didn't come out. He didn't come out and say, I told you so. I told you you were being foolish. She said, if I know Jesus, he slipped out the back door. Quietly doing the work of God, healing, bringing that little child to life that he had compassion for, but then not rubbing it in the face of people. Another example, several examples there. One, if Jesus received scorn and laughter from people around, we're going to receive scorn and laughter. That's right. And so we need to not let that deter us. We don't like it. I don't like being laughed at. I don't like being ridiculed, mocked, scorned, any of those kind of things. I don't like being misunderstood. But I'm foolish to think that I should be able to go through life not having to endure what our Savior has. And I should be willing to talk to anyone to say, come to Christ, however I say that. Even if they spit in my face, even if they laugh at me for my outdated beliefs, believing in miss, all the kinds of things they can say. There's another story in the movie. A girl had a really good friend. They were best friends. Girl, her friend got in with the wrong crowd, got into smoking, smoking marijuana, and her friend was concerned. Talked to her and her friend rejected her. Even told her, that's why I don't run with you. You're so judgmental. And so, the 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 one friend trying to get her to change past her a note. They don't show us what's on the note. The girl reads it, kind of smirks, but she saves it. Some time passes. They're in class, and she taps the girl on the friend she's on the shoulder, and she says, "Yeah." She says, "I've quit." What? Yeah, I've quit. Really? Yes, I've really quit. I've given up smoking. I don't do it anymore. How come? Well, God just said that wasn't what I needed to do. And then the friend is praising. She turns around and the other girl opens that note. And she says, I'm going to pray for you every day until you stop smoking. And she asks her friend, Did you do that? She said, Yeah, I did. That's how we respond to being mocked, ridiculed, scorned, as we make them a little higher on our prayer list. We pray that God would address the need in their life, their need to know Christ, which this friend did, but then their need to realize the bad habits that need changing. That's the proper Christian, Christ-like response. We have compassion on all those around us, and we pray for them diligently that they would come to that deep knowledge of Jesus Christ. So that's our call, to love one another like Christ did, being compassionate, lifting in prayer rather than critical, and loving the people around us. Some will respond, some won't. A favorite verse of mine, I don't like the reference, But it's John 666. I don't like the 666, but I think it's poignant that it's that number. Jesus is teaching the disciples. Disciples weren't the twelve. They were just anybody that followed Him listening. And He was doing a particular teaching. He said, this is hard. Who can do this? And it says that they left and followed Him no more. And the reason that speaks to me It helped me as a pastor because if Jesus Christ, the Son of God, couldn't convince everybody of what they need, I'm not either. But that doesn't mean I don't tell them. It doesn't mean I don't say it. But I have to understand with maturity that some will receive the message, many won't. But that's not my responsibility. My responsibility is to tell them, if I do that, then on that day the Lord calls me home. I'll get that well done. Thou good and faithful servant, now enter into thy rest. Love one another like Christ. We're going to stand now and sing our hymn of invitation, hymn of response. Everyone here needs to respond to this message. But I'm not going to tell you how you need to respond. It may be that you need to come forward to uh, profess your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and follow in baptism. It may be that you need to come up by yourself, not talk to anybody and just Take a time to pray. Kneel if you can. The knees are bad, then just stand. It may be that God's calling to salvation. It may be that God's calling to some particular area He wants you to change in your life. But each one of us have something we need to respond in. And that's what He's calling you today. Jesus is tenderly calling